Thank you, Melinda. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Been a crazy sinus season. I remember when I didn't used to have sinus problems a long time ago. So if I go into a coughing fit, as far as I know I'm not sick, just pray for me. Should be all right. On Wednesdays, we've been going through the book of Colossians, uh, verse by verse. Last Wednesday, we talked about the riches of understanding. And we were reminded that because of who Christ is, we preach Christ. Uh, he is the focus of what we do. And his gospel is our first message to the world. But in addition to preaching Christ, we saw how we are to warn people and we are to teach them about wise Christian living. And we were reminded that we have a message that is not just important for eternity, but a message that is important for uh, living here and now as well. And we saw how this task was not easy then for Paul and the early Christians any more than it is easy now. Remember, Paul was striving. He was laboring. He had some agony in his heart as he sought to teach and warn believers in the city of Colossae, even though he had never personally met them. And we were reminded that Paul was a clear speaker of truth, but he was not a cold speaker of truth. So before he warned them, uh, he opened up and he bared his heart to them, and we saw in that the kind of healthy desires that every spiritual leader should have for those who look to them in some way. Remember, he wanted them to be comforted. He wanted their hearts knit together in love. And he wanted them to have the riches of the full assurance of understanding the great truths uh, of God. And we rejoiced together in the privilege of having understanding of the things of God. Most of our world doesn't understand the things of God. Uh, they haven't made the effort. And in many cases, if they did make uh, the effort, they didn't look in a place that was going to really put them on the right sort of path. And we especially rejoice in the privilege of understanding the mystery of the incarnation. God manifested in the flesh. God taking a body of flesh to walk among us and die in our place. Now Paul, at this point, he has completely set the table for the next section of his letter to them. Uh, this particular section of Colossians is filled with warnings. Uh, like all churches of the living God, the church in Colossae had a spiritual enemy who had some pawns. He was using them to influence them badly. Pawns of Satan spreading false doctrine among believers. Uh, and few of these likely realized uh, that they were being deceived by Satan when they were spreading their false doctrine. In fact, on Sunday night, if you were here, we talked about Lucifer being known as Satan, the adversary of God. And of all that is good and right, we talked about him being the tempter trying to get God's people distracted from Christ and God's plan for life. And false doctrine always in some way takes people from Christ and God's plan for life. And you've heard me say many times, the battleground of the Christian life is not in our behavior. The battleground of our Christian life is in our mind and heart. 
And long before you or I ever do anything we shouldn't do, there was a lot of stuff in our mind and in our heart that didn't uh, need to be there that we allowed to fester. And so when we think about the battleground being in our mind and Satan being this tempter and adversary, it shouldn't surprise us that he was using false doctrine and false ways of looking at life to hurt the followers of Jesus in the city of Colossae, just like he does today. And so what God did is to help believers today, he put what was going on with believers then so that you and I can learn from it. And so after Paul focuses on the foundation of Christ, he's now going to talk about how they were being drawn away from that. If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, tell my thought is beware of man's philosophy and false deceit. Beware of man's philosophy and vain deceit. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Thank you, might be seated. See, Paul told them that what he told them, he told them what he told them so they wouldn't be fooled by smooth and flattering words. In verse 4, this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Remember, he had just in verse 2 given them his heartfelt desires. He did that so they wouldn't be beguiled by enticing words. He, remember, he wanted them comforted. He wanted their hearts knit together in love. In verse 2, he wanted them to have the riches of full understanding of the things of God. That's why he told them that. He didn't want them beguiled by enticing words. He had just told them that all true wisdom and knowledge began with being right about Jesus Christ Himself. And he says that in verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, There were a lot of things there in the church in Colossae that were right, a lot of things that were good. We read in verse 5, it says he beheld their order and the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. Those are good things. There were a lot of good things in the church there in Colossae. Remember in chapter 1 and verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have to all saints... Uh, They had a good love for one another. Verse 5, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherever you've heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit in you, as it doth doth also in you, since the day you heard of it, and know the grace of God in truth. They, They had love for one another. They were fruitful. They had good order in their church. They were steadfast in the faith. Paul uh, is making sure as he leads into warning them about some things, he's making sure that he understands there's a lot of good things going on among them. A lot of good people. And so he's encouraging them with their strengths. And he's about 
to warn them. I hope you understand tonight that positive and encouraging remarks should be part of what every spiritual leader does for those who look to them. Uh, Listen, pastors and teachers in the Lord's church, there ought to be times when we have positive and encouraging things to say. Parents, bosses, husbands to their wives. There ought to be times when we have positive and encouraging things to say. Uh, For you and your friends, listen, friends aren't just friends to correct your friends. For, For the most part, to our friends, we ought to have some positive and encouraging things. And though any leader who is always positive is missing half of the Bible message, any leader who is always negative is missing the other half of the Bible message. You see, Paul was afraid that they would be deceived and drawn away from Christ through enticing words. Now all of us, to one degree or another, are vulnerable to flattery. Flattery is saying positive things with a bad or an ulterior motive. I don't know if you're a student of the Proverbs. I hope you are. If, if I had my way, everybody in this room would read through Proverbs at least three or four times a year because it's the wisdom of God. But Proverbs 7.21 says this, With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattery of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter. Is it not interesting that the description of the adulterous woman is fair speech, enticing words, and and, and every time I read this, I'm taken back. It says she forced him. Now, he, of course, wasn't forced to do that, but he was moved and pushed by her positive words spoken with deception. See, flattery is positive things with deception underneath it to try to get something uh, bad to happen or something that doesn't deserve to happen. And unfortunately, men are especially susceptible to flattery from a woman. Um, Every man here, you need to be aware of that. And if you're not aware of your vulnerability, pull your head out of the sand. People who are lonely or feel like they don't belong are very susceptible to flattery. Whenever, and listen, we all struggle from time to time with a cold, clammy hand of loneliness. If you're struggling with loneliness, understand in those moments you're very vulnerable to flattery. Uh, All of us are susceptible to flattery when we feel like we're not being treated well or respected enough by our spouse. See, 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 part of the way to have success in life is, is you and I need to recognize where we're weak and where we're vulnerable, so we guard those things. We need to guard our hearts, and enticing words appeal to all of us. And it's easy to be deceived by flattery. You see, but Paul's encouraging and his positive words in chapter 1 and early in chapter 2, they were not intended to deceive. He was just being honest. 
He, he was doing what a spiritual leader is supposed to do, to recognize what's good and say something positive and complimentary. You see, you and I should be saying positive, encouraging things when we can for the good of the hearer. Not deceptively in our own interest. I think probably all of us here have known uh, at least one person in our life who was very manipulative through flattery. Probably very few of us here who haven't a time or two fallen for being manipulated through flattery. You see, because of our vulnerability to flattery, some cynical people misname every encouraging remark, every motivational word to be manipulative, and and that's just not true. Paul is not trying to manipulate them when he is speaking positive words to them. He's trying to get them to realize, hey, I'm about to warn you about some things, but I understand that there's a lot of good going on there. I want that good to continue, and so I want to warn you about some of these things that are going on. In fact, he warns them that those would deceive them would use flattery and enticing words, not critical or harsh ones. That's what he does in verse 4. This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. To beguile is to charm or enchant in a deceptive way. By the way, you say, who's an example of that? Uh, Joel Olstein. He's somebody who uses flattery to lure people away from sound doctrine. If you've ever listened to any of his answers to tough questions, he never answers them in a way uh, that would cause anybody who didn't already agree with with Christianity to to, to say, wow, what's going on here? He, flattery, not clarity. Listen, I'm not implying he's a false prophet. I'm not saying everything he does is wrong. I'm saying he's a good example of someone who leaves off difficult difficult subjects to entice people away from sound doctrine and biblical Christianity. I've told you before, I've had it happen twice where somebody came here and visited and I followed up and they said, you remind me of Joel Olstein. And and, and I I literally had to like bite my lip. And I've said the same thing every time uh, somebody asked me about Joel Osteen. I said, he's not a Bible preacher or teacher. He's a good motivational speaker. By the way, he is a good motivational speaker. He's not a good Bible preacher or teacher. You see, people are ignorant of the New Testament and people who have allowed themselves to become weary of God's correction, uh, they're drawn to people like Joel Osteen, and in the end, they end up something less than Christ would have them be. This isn't the only time Paul warned of this method. I'll keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to Romans 16. Romans 16. I hope you see the difference in flattery, which is positive and complimentary things to manipulate or deceive or hurt, and true positive things. I would to God that every husband here 
said positive things to his wife on a regular basis. I would to God that every wife here said positive things to her husband on a regular basis. I would to God that every child of someone here who is a parent and a grandparent would on a regular basis hear from their parent and grandparent some kind of positive and encouraging words. Uh, It's important. But because of our susceptibility to flattery, notice Paul's warning in Romans 16 and verse 17. He says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Now before we go on, how are we supposed to handle people who are drawing us away from sound doctrine? It says avoid them. Uh, Notice in verse 18, he will speak about their method. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. They're acting in their self-interest. They're filling their own belly. And their method is good words and fair speeches. And they are most effective on those we're simple, those who don't really know the Bible and sound doctrine very well. Um, you can go back to our text. This past Sunday morning, if you were here, I, I preached on the immutability of God. Uh, God's immutability is a wonderful quality of God. Uh, he doesn't change. The God of the Old Testament is the same uh, as the God of the New Testament. We get security from that. Uh, everybody's probably was fine with that. But then we begin to talk about things like how because God is immutable, we are supposed to preach and teach the same key things that were taught to us. Now, people don't like that. And what happens is because it is impossible for me to Joel Olstein a message like that. I mean, I can't just smile like this and say, listen, you, shouldn't, you should be having the same doctrine your grandpa and grandma had in the church. You have no business change, changing uh, 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 homosexuality being okay. you got no business. You can't... There's a reason that clear speakers of truth are oftentimes set to the side because it's impossible for us to do that in the same way He handles everything. And that is a method that's very effective at getting people away from sound biblical doctrine and sound biblical churches, especially people who are ignorant and those who've been hurt. Now, I'm not warning you tonight about being positive and encouraging. I'm telling you, we should be positive and encouraging. And I think most of us could stand to do more of it. You may not think so. I actually try to speak positive and encouraging things to you regularly. So you're not doing a good job. Well, I'm trying. (laughs) In fact, really, I I try to regularly, if you're serving here or or you just got saved or or I see you're growing, I, I try to find you and say something. I wish I could do better. Uh, listen, I mean it when I say God's brought some great people here. Uh, God has done some great things. 
through Bible Baptist Church. There's a lot of good things that I can continue to say. But what I need to do at times, I need to warn you like Paul did about those trying to change sound doctrine through flattery and enticing words. Notice in verse 6, says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye uh, in Him. Uh, they had been taught the truth about Christ. They had received Christ as He is. Paul had taught them to walk in the truth, or taught those who taught them to walk in the truth more accurately, uh, to make the boundaries of their life, to walk in Christ, the boundaries of their life with things that Christ would have them do. And these false teachers who are influencing them to change some things about Christ and how to follow Christ. Now, now some of you here, you're more like my wife and I, and you're not taught uh, the truth about sound biblical doctrine and Christian living in your home or in the church you grew up. And my wife and I were not taught those things, and so we had to change to embrace those things. Others of you, you were blessed by God. He placed you in a home and in a church where, you know, you were taught the things of God correctly and you had them taught and modeled to you in your home. And just like my wife and I needed to embrace them, you need to hold on to them. You see, the Colossian believers, they started well. They'd been taught the truth. Notice in verse 7, secondly, they'd been established in the faith, taught the faith. They now needed to abound in it. In verse 7, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you've been taught. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Remember that phrase, the faith. It refers to key New Testament doctrines, key Bible doctrines. He said you need to be established in those things. Uh, You've been taught those things. Abound in those things. Don't be moved from those things. And like I said Sunday morning, the faith, it's not like our smartphone. You you, you know, you don't go from New Testament 13 to New Testament version 14 uh, next year. And so Paul, he warns them to beware of those trying to get them to change the faith and how they follow Jesus in verse 8. Beware. Lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, man's philosophy would deceive and spoil them. God's philosophy about life and eternity are different. Man's traditions would deceive and spoil them. In this case, as we'll find out in coming weeks, primarily Jewish traditions. Man's philosophy and man's traditions would make them more like the world than like Christ. That, that's what, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments, that's the basic elements of the world, and not after Christ. Listen, you and I are always in a constant battle. We are in a battle with our flesh, we are in a battle with this world as to whether we will conform ourselves and our lives to Christ or whether we will conform them to this world. Now, in addition to encouraging the people of God, if you remember from last week, 
spiritual leaders are to warn them. Remember that from chapter 1, verse 28? Speaking of Christ, he says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Paul is about to warn them. Beware, he says. By the way, thank God for the love he has for sinners of all sorts, a love that moved him to give his only begotten son. Thank God for the warmth, the kindness, the open-arm invitation of Jesus Christ. Open arms to sinners of all sorts. Open arms to repentant saints of all sorts. But did you know that Jesus regularly warned those who listened to Him? Especially His disciples. Keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to Matthew 7. When I say Matthew 7... What should come to your mind is Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaching His disciples from a mountain. And so when I say we're getting to Matthew 7, this is something Jesus taught His disciples. We've repeated this verse multiple times. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? He made sure his disciples understood that not everyone who claimed to be his disciple and claimed to have a message from heaven really had a message from heaven or was really his disciple. Some in sheep's clothing were wolves. He warned them. He said, beware. I'll turn up a couple pages to Matthew 10. In Matthew 10... The bulk of the chapter is him speaking to the twelve as he is getting ready to send them out for the first time two by two. And in preparing them for what they were going to do, notice he warns them about people who would persecute and try to hurt them for their faith. Matthew 10, 17. He says, beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. Listen, being a committed follower of Jesus, it wasn't easy when Jesus was the pastor. It wasn't easy when they were doing it in Jerusalem any more than it's easy to do it in Cincinnati, Ohio. Now most people, I think, quite frankly, uh, they're just neutral. You know, they don't really care one way or another uh, about what we do, what we say. But there are a few who are active opponents of biblical Christianity. Jesus warned His disciples about them. Turn up a couple pages to Matthew chapter 16. He again warned His disciples, and in this case, He's going to warn them about false doctrine spoken by the leaders of their national religion. By the way, Judaism was the right religion in the world up till that point. And he's going to warn them. Notice what he says in Matthew 16, 6. Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now we could go on and on and wonder about what in the world he's talking about, but it's interpreted for us. It's interpreted for us. Look in verse 11. How is it that you do not understand that I spake it not unto you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, 
but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So what is leaven symbolic for in that context? Bad doctrine. In particular, the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. But false doctrine isn't just something taught by Jewish leaders in Judaism in the first century. It was also taught by well-meaning disciples at times. Anybody that tells you doctrine doesn't matter, they're either deceiving you or they don't know what they're talking about. Most of the time, they just don't know what they're talking about. They mean well. Uh, We could spend time, and we've done this multiple times. Listen, there are some doctrines Jesus hates. And, And they were doctrines being promoted in one of his churches. You see, warning people is a less well-known aspect of our Savior's character, but it was one He displayed regularly. And in keeping with God's people need to be warned and Christ warning His disciples, Paul and Peter warned disciples too. You may remember when we went through the book of Philippians, uh, Paul warned the Philippian believers, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. And he's not talking about chihuahuas and huskies and those kinds of things. Peter warned Jewish believers, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. By the way, I hope you're someone who pays attention to the things God warned us about. I hope you're someone who pays attention to things that God brings to your attention from people in the circle of your life. Those who refuse to listen and learn from anyone else's errors become people who live the most painful life. And in our text, Paul warned believers in Colossae about two corrupting influences on them and in the church. Remember, he said, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. The first warning, man's philosophy will mislead people when it's lifted above God's words. Turn back a page to Matthew chapter 15. See, a lot of people, they misunderstand the conflict Jesus had with the Pharisees. Jesus never conflicted the Pharisees because they were careful followers of the details of the Bible. See, see, that's like an America 2023 look at Phariseeism. That is never what happened. They were not followers of the details of the Bible. They were people who in their religion had put their traditions above the Bible. That was his primary conflict with them. Notice what he says in Matthew 15 as we think about Paul warning about philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men. In Matthew 15, verse 1, then came Jesus to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? I've got that statement underlined in my Bible. 
I have been warned to carefully set my cup down. (laughs) Why do you transgress God's commandments with your traditions? You see, his chief conflict with them was over this very issue. They transgressed the commandments of God with their religious and cultural traditions. I hope you understand that every culture, every religion, every family have man-made traditions. There is nothing wrong with those as long as we don't elevate them to the level of the Bible. Uh, Groups like Roman Catholicism have many religious traditions that contradict the Word of God. You may disagree with this, but I believe the best example of the Pharisees in America and in uh, our day is Roman Catholicism. Talk to me after church if you disagree with that. Uh, Some cultures have pagan roots, and their cultural uh, traditions contradict the Word of God. Listen, we reject traditions, whether they're religious or cultural, that are contrary to the Word of God. I don't care if they're American traditions. I don't care if they're Catholic traditions. I don't care if they're Baptist traditions. I don't care if they're African traditions. Any traditions that are contrary to the Word of God, we reject. By the way, uh, we have traditions here. It's a tradition to sing six songs. I don't know of any other churches that do that. So why do we do that? Well, because when we started, I had the belief that the Bible was more focused on singing than listening to people sing. And so, when I designed our first services, I designed them to be focused on singing rather than listening to singing. We have a tradition here that we do our offering and announcements at the end of service. I didn't come from a church like that. I just, in a church like that, I didn't like it, how we would begin to get our heart and mind focused on heavenly things through singing, and then we'd stop and do announcements and offering, and everybody just starts talking to their neighbor. And I thought to myself, why, when you begin to set your heart and mind on heavenly things, why am I going to stop that? I'm not saying that other is wrong. I'm just saying that's a tradition. Here, we have traditions. Uh, We have the tradition of starting our service on time. Uh, Listen, uh, many of you come from churches and they don't start until, oh, we're waiting on Sue. Uh, We ain't waiting on anybody. I've told uh, Wally and all, listen, when it's time, you start. It's a tradition. We have a tradition that your nursery from zero to three and that you at four years old go to class. That's not in the Bible. It's just a tradition. There's nothing, uh, none of those are are more important here than doctrine or a a principle in the Bible, but we have them. Everybody has them. Churches have them. (laughs) Religions have them. Families have them. Cultures have them. Now, some cultural, religious, and family traditions are good. Uh, Paul told the Thessalonian believers to, quote, 
hold the traditions which they had been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. You see, humble people uh, respect the traditions they've been taught by good people. As long as they don't contradict the Word of God. Uh, listen, it's a proud kind of a person who says, I don't care what my grandparents were like. I don't care what my parents was like. I don't care about the church where God reached me was like. I don't care what churches have been doing for hundreds of years. That's God's, God is blessed. I don't care. Listen, there's something inherently wrong with that. There are man-made traditions about what matters most in life. In America, it's a tradition that your children should do better in life than you. By the way, I reject that. I reject that because I don't believe that every child has equal gifts in the same areas nor equal motivation as their parents. I, I reject that. American tradition. I believe that our goal is not for our children to exceed us, but our goal as a parent should be to have our children succeed to whatever degree God gifted them to be able to do so. Amen. It's an American tradition. There are man-made cultural and family traditions. Now in our culture, we hear all the time from talking heads on news and such, and these academic elites, you know, they, they try to tell us that all cultures are of equal value. They're not. Uh, listen, there's a lot, there, there's some cultures in our, in our world that have produced all kinds of poverty and terrible acts. There, there's some kind of cultures in our world that have helped and opened the doors to people bettering themselves and rising above poverty and lack of education. All cultures are not equal, but hear me when I say any cultural tradition contrary to the Scriptures ought to be rejected. Uh, if you're a young family, I, I recommend make some family traditions. Have some holiday traditions. Have some vacation traditions. Have some traditions with you and your couple. Have some traditions with you and your children. I think it's a healthy thing. I think it's good. It makes us unique. It makes our home special. It, it makes that family unit something special in our lives. Have them. Just, just, just don't call me on Sunday and say, well, always on my birthday we go to Kings Island. I won't be at church today. Have some traditions, but just never place them above the things of God. And in keeping with our text, there are man-made philosophical traditions. And it was man-made philosophical traditions that were creeping into the church in Colossae. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. And it's not just that we're all suckers for flattery, and men in particular are suckers for flattery by women. We are all susceptible to wanting to feel smarter than everyone else. To want to feel that we have attained some level of spirituality or know this that other people don't know. Um, this human philosophy that feeds our vain-based nature to have something someone else doesn't have. 
Now, if you've done much study of philosophy, the vast majority of philosophers have a very low view of the inspiration and preservation of the Bible. By and large, they try to find the answers to man's problems by human reasoning and finding them in man. Hear me when I say some truths don't come from within us. And looking deeper inside you is not going to help you find your best self. Our culture is bent on looking inside and finding myself. Can I say, I've looked inside enough to decide, you know what, myself is not really the kind of self I'm looking to have. I'm trying to make myself more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is a completely different goal than looking in yourself to find truth, looking in yourself to find your best self, looking in yourself to find who you are. Listen, if you haven't read the Bible enough and gotten close enough to God to recognize that the more you recognize about who you really are, the less you ought to like what that is, you haven't gotten close to God. I'm not talking about this tonight, but I think a lot of people plunge themselves into dark pits of pride and selfishness trying to find themselves within themselves. Now, philosophy may be appealing to you personally, but I'm going to tell you, you could not pay me enough money to take a philosophy class. If if it was on my required college list, I would find somebody to beg to let me take Calculus 14. But some people are really interested in it. To me, it is so opposed to God's Word being the final authority, that I have no interest in spending my time or mental energy on it in any way. Philosophy, man-made philosophy, appeals to our ego, and it was luring the Colossian believers away from Christ. By the way, that's why he warned them, and you can go back to our text and we'll finish up. Say, good, I'm sick of this already. That's all right, I've been talking 43 minutes. You say, I knew that. Most people have a seat limit of 40 minutes. You can process that. See, philosophy focused on man was why Paul warned them in chapter 1, verse 19, at the end of, uh, the end of verse 18, he says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. Philosophy focused on man It's why Paul said in chapter 2, verse 3, that in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not in Plato, not in Stoicism, not with the Epicureans, not in Philo, who was a big philosopher at that time in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, Listen, the greatest thoughts are not written by ungodly people. I don't care if their IQ is 227. God has the greatest philosophy. That's why he said that in chapter 2 and verse 9, that's why he said, for in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, they would not become more complete 
or gain special insight into God or life studying philosophers. And they needed to beware. Listen, nobody in here likes to have people think you're dumb. Now, all of us have areas that we're more susceptible to than others. This is an area I'm really susceptible. It really bothers me when people think I'm dumb. I mean, it really bothers me. And human philosophy that caused them to feel like they could have special insight into God and into life. Listen, it was very appealing to them, and it draws a lot of people away from Christ still today. And so Paul warned them, beware. But there was a second warning, but that we will save for next time. And you can just bow your head and close your eyes and begin your prayer by saying good.